What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Jays podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays we've got for days. Josh, how you doing? It's weird having to answer that question. It's been a while. I know, right? I know, right? It's been a little while, but I'll ask it to you again. How are you? Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, yeah. How's how's everything in uh, in your neck of the woods? Oh, just fine. Looking forward to a bit of a breather here and some very good sports coming up on Saturday. So always a busy, fun time of the year. You know, it's really nice when, you know, the college football is always solid. The the college basketball is always solid this week. And when the Detroit Lions are really good, <laughs> even the NFL on on Thursday on Thanksgiving is is good because you know for so long it's you know the Cowboys are the Cowboys, right? Got a Black but Friday the, game this year, right? But the Lions have been a a you know certified train wreck for the last you know ten years or whatever. Oh, it's been their moment to shine, and now we have a Lions team that you know people are talking about in the conversation with teams like San Francisco and with teams like Philadelphia and the NFC. So that's kind of fun. That's a fun change of pace, but that's what's to come. What has already happened Josh is for what feels like the 1000th year in a row, the Purdue Boilermakers walk into a loaded Thanksgiving tournament and walk out the victors it's now been almost three calendar years. Early December 2020 was the last time that Purdue lost a regular season non-conference basketball game. That's crazy. Now, because of the Big Ten schedule and the way it works now, they have some losses in Decembers and like before the, the conference play chunk starts, but all of those losses have been to Big Ten opponents. So... In, in Big Ten conference, it's not like they you know happen to play a Big Ten team in a Thanksgiving tournament, but I'm pretty sure that they they structure those tournaments so that that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, here we are again in a tournament that might be the best Thanksgiving tournament ever for that particular year. You have Kansas, you have Purdue, you have Marquette, you have Tennessee, and you have Gonzaga. That's five of the eleven top teams in the AP poll this particular week. And somehow, Josh, Purdue comes out and wins it, and I'm not sure anybody who wasn't convinced about Purdue a week ago is any more convinced about Purdue now, despite the fact that they just beat all the teams that they did in the stretch of three days. So that's where we're going to start, Maui Invitational. That's where we're going to live on this particular podcast. But in a in a five-point win over the Marquette Golden Eagles in the Maui Invitational Championship game. The Fighting Matt Painters are victorious on Thanksgiving once again. Yeah, and I want to start with kind of that point because you and I got there through different logic, but I think we both ended up there, which is this is the best team in the country and has been since day one. Now, you were coming at it from the angle of the only reason this team wasn't number one preseason is because people were scared to put him there after they lost to a 16 seed. I was coming from it more of the, and we're going to talk about this, but I'm just not convinced Kansas is as good as everybody thinks they are. But I think you and I both 
if we were making preseason polls, would have had Purdue one. Is that accurate? This year? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Interesting. Okay. The the more I have watched these teams play, and specifically Purdue, and Marquette did make it interesting. We're going to talk about them as well. I'm just already convinced this is that. I think we saw that. I'll put it this way, and I've, well, let's let's start here. I think we saw the best two teams in the country play in that championship game. Overreaction, accurate. You'll buy it, but you're maybe not convinced. I'll buy it. I think UConn might be mm. in that conversation. UConn's been pretty impressive without yeah. Stephon Castle for stretches of that. Um. Yeah, you know, I just am not like the, where I am with Purdue right now is, and and to be clear, I'm not. I, I'm plenty convinced by Purdue. I don't need Purdue to do anything else, especially in the regular season, to be convinced by Purdue. And the more I think about it, like, like I think that the faster Purdue plays good teams in the tournament, the better. Like they don't lose to good teams in the tournament, really. <laughs> yeah. They either lose to teams they have no business losing to or the team that wins the national championship. That's like right. kind of how the last five years have gone in the tournament for Purdue, which is interesting. And like they just keep finding ways to win games against really, really good basketball teams. Because there were times against Tennessee and there were times against Marquette where I thought, oh, this is slipping away from Purdue. And then mm-hmm. it just doesn't slip away from Purdue. Yep. And you would think that that would... And in the tournament, that's that remains true against good teams. It's when they play St. Peter's and when they play FDU that apparently it's an issue, which North is really Texas. right. North Texas, which is really which is quite fascinating. Uh, the more I think about it, but I pro I Marquette's spectacular, and Purdue is, you know, like they are equally the team that nobody has any faith in in March and the team that I have the utmost faith in to like find a way to win a game. It's a very, very weird combination to have. Yeah. And let's start with the the Purdue side of this. We kind of want to break down all four of the semifinalists and give our thoughts on what we've learned. Uh, yeah, they, they can't, as we've talked about before, they can't address all of that until March slash April. Right? right. Here is the couple things though, why I am, more convinced by this team and feel like this team is significantly to the point that you can be significantly better than last season that I feel like this team is one. They are deeper. They've they got, are deeper. they are more athletic. I mean, Lance Jones has been really, really good. He's a really good defender that you can go put. If there's one thing they maybe didn't have, it was somebody to go guard the other team's best player. Mm-hmm. Now you have that guy. The guards are more experienced. Generally, they've been really good. They're just a better team. But the the couple big things for me, I also like where they're at defensively. It hasn't been perfect, but they've done some really good things. I've been generally impressed. The other concern or area that showed itself in this tournament, I mean, it's not like they were great for 40 minutes every game. To your point about it, they weren't exactly convincing, and then all of a sudden you look up and they put together a 10-2 run in the second half or Zach Eady scores 11 straight points, and all of a sudden here they are with a eight-point lead and are fairly comfortable. Now, Marquette made it very interesting pretty much until the final buzzer, but they just 
are better than you over 40 minutes, even if they're not all that convincing. I mean, Edie was not as efficient as he typically is every single game. He missed six straight free throws against Tennessee. It didn't matter. They had one player scoring generally against Gonzaga. That was Braden Smith outside of Edie. Foster Lawyer had one of the worst games I have ever seen against Gonzaga. He came back and scored 27 points against Tennessee. They didn't have anybody else scoring, but it was enough. And then this game, they finally got everybody else going. Trey Kaufman Wren started well. Both guards were really good. Mason Gillis did some good things. Lance Jones did some good things. And they also hit a bunch of threes, which is also my thing of and credit to Marquette for making this interesting. Because if you would have told me that Purdue shot the three that well and that Edie was that dominant in the second half, I would have said no chance. Anybody can beat him. And Marquette still nearly did. Uh, I'm going to disagree with how with 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 the being super convinced by their depth. Their depth scored eight points in the last two games combined. They bring a lot of guys onto the floor that you, that are perceived as depth. Yes, they, right. Um, but Mason Gillis is the only one that I am convinced is actually going to be productive night in and night out. Like Miles Colvin will have his moments. Caleb first will have his moments. Cam Hyde will have his moments. Ethan Morton will, will somehow leave a footprint on the game when if his name wasn't like listed on the box score because he played minutes, you'd have no idea that he was like, there's no other like highlight tape to show that he was actually in the game. Um, like at some point, like there actually has to be real production because it feels like they have more depth. But in the last two days, they did not have any depth. It was a two man game for three of the four halves. And they just because one of those guys is Zach Eady, they they constantly just barely have enough to do it. But right. and, and that's kind of my my thought point thought with this is now Marquette. It was a more collective. Yeah, it was mostly the starters, but it was more collective. The fact that they can go and beat Tennessee and Gonzaga without getting contributions from, you know, seven, eight of the guys who touched the floor, they can be so much better than they were in this tournament. That's what has me so convinced is that this is not the finished product because there are those clear holes to still poke. I guess I'm just, I mean, like, but that, like that is, as long as the freshmen come along, everybody else on that bench is what they're going to be. Caleb first isn't going to be that much better than he is right now. No, Ethan it's, Morton it's, hasn't been capable of putting the ball in the basket his entire college basketball career. So, like, if if those two freshmen are consistent contributors, absolutely, because Miles Colvin is the type of guy who can go three hundred five from the three point line and yep. swing a game. Right. And if those things happen, absolutely, I am, I am, I am, I'm, I'm truly just perplexed by Purdue in so many different ways because. They are seemingly unstoppable for one second, and then the other second they can't get Zachy to the ball, and they look like they don't know what to do if they can't make that happen. It's I I love them, I hate them. The 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 relationship they have with college basketball fans and spectators is fascinating, and I like all of those things. I agree with to a certain extent, and. Like which which when you put them in conversation with having a guy like Zach Eady, it should be pretty convincing that they're the best team in the country, and it's just not always that convincing. It's fascinating. Yeah, and also, I mean, they had just about the most difficult schedule you could get in this tournament because they're the team that drew three top eleven opponents. Right, and they still did it fairly convincingly without being all that convincing. 
That's and, what that's right. Well, that, perfect. That's where I'm coming from. If this is the low point for Purdue, I just don't. If they are bad, obviously teams can get to them. But if they start, if they do what they did in this Marquette game, I think there are maybe two, three, four teams in the country that can play with them. It might be one. It might just be Marquette because we need to talk about them too. And so if you get good performances, if they shoot the ball well, I guess that's where I'm – they can get to a level I don't think anybody can beat them. The question is whether they can actually do that consistently enough and can do it in the tournament and show up for six straight games. That part we just don't know the answer to. So there's no conclusions to draw about that because we're just going to have to wait and see because like we've said a million times, they can't do anything to answer that question or change people's opinions until they actually play in the NCAA tournament. And at the same time, I think they should never, ever win by less than 10 when they go 10 of 21 from the three-point line. Right. And they're terrifyingly bad against pressure still. Still. Yes. And that is the, the last thing I want to say about Purdue. To me, there are two things. Which is which is why I think you might be right that the pressure that Marquette can create and the type of athletes that they have and the the really annoying way that Igadaro plays defense against Zach Eady, like all of those things combined, I think you have something... Because I think like Donovan Klingon is one of the guys tall enough, mm-hmm. but I'm just not sure that that's what bothers Zach Eady. It's all the no. arms and legs kind of yes. down below his waist that gets him that that gets him flustered, and he does a lot of you know, and he, he isn't catching the ball cleanly and isn't making a move cleanly, and so all of those things. I think, for what it's worth, um, that you might be onto something there. That if someone that the team that is actually equipped to beat Purdue this year might just be Marquette. And it's also the ball pressure. Yes. Because to me, there, there are two things that can stop Purdue. One is decision-making. You saw it at the beginning of the Marquette game where Stevie Mitchell was, bless his soul, was out there trying to just be a nuisance. And they didn't get Zach Eady the ball. I think Stevie Mitchell ended up on him on three straight possessions or something. And Eady didn't touch the ball. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there thinking, I don't care how many limbs are between you and Zach Eady. Just throw the ball up. He's going mm. to get it. It's Stevie yeah. Mitchell down there. Yeah. So, and then the turnovers in the second half when Marquette made their run to actually get back in the game because it looked like Purdue was going to coast again. And then they started turning the ball over. So that is absolutely one. They It's a difference between Braden Smith and Tyler Kolick outside of Tyler Kolick just being better. Tyler Kolick doesn't make mistakes. You still see mistakes from those guards. And yes, Tyler Kolk is a much more experienced player. I'm not trying to have a big conversation about those two, but that's one. I'm and also two not is- interested in a Braden Smith so, flack yeah. throwing when he was 18, five and five. Yeah, he was with two turnovers, seven of 11 from the field and four of six and three. This yeah, game was well, not was- close because of Braden Smith. No, he was fantastic. But there were just, and sometimes it's Fletcher Lawyer. Sometimes there are just head scratching moments with them still. That That's all I'm saying. But they've been, they were spectacular. The time. improv isn't good enough. That's what it is for me. The yeah, improv, yeah. Uh, improv of we can't get Zach Eady the ball. What do we do now? That's what's not good enough. Or we need to just get Zach Eady the ball. Sure. Like either, but pick one. Like be so stubborn that you're not going to not get it to him, or know what to do with it if it's not right. easy to get to him. Right. And they don't. They don't do either late in games. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is the three point line, right? That's why they lost in the NCAA tournament last year. If they don't hit threes, you're just inherently vulnerable in today's college basketball, but they hit him right. in this game, got the win as a result. Shall we move Marquette. to Marquette? Yeah, yeah. Talk to me. All right. 
I think this is my favorite team in the country. This is two years in a row, right? This is only because Shaka Smart went and yapped at Bill Self. Don't think I don't (laughs) understand you. I love these guys. They're so good. They're really fun. They are. They're really fun, and they are really good. And it's one of those things where I don't. I don't really have that much that I learned from them, other than I feel very validated in picking him to win the Big East again. And yes, UConn has looked really good, and UConn found a second big, and that's a terrifying thought. Mm-hmm. I just, I think they're the second best team in the country. To me, the fact that they were close in this game says a lot more about Marquette than Purdue. I think maybe that's where you and I disagree a little bit. The one, and I'm curious if you have more, have more thoughts, because I, I just wasn't stunned that they performed this well. The one thing I'm curious about that could be their undoing, if their bigs don't get in, specifically Iguodaro, don't get in foul trouble in the first you know five minutes of this game, they very well might win. Mm-hmm. That might have decided the game right there. And Matt Painter knew it was important enough that he brought it up at halftime. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about, okay, so who else are they going to see? They're going to see Klingon. They're going to see Kalkbrenner. They're going to see Joel Soriano. Can they stay out of foul trouble against the other? Now, of course, none of these guys are Zach Eady, But they are going to see some of the better centers in the country mm-hmm. in Big East play as well. The best centers in the country. Yeah. I mean, other than Hunter Dickinson. And like, Edie, yeah. Right, well, we, right. Sure. Right, but right, they're they're going to go through a gauntlet here. Of There aren't that many teams with elite bigs. They're going to see most of them, and most of them are in the Big East. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can they keep their bigs on the floor? Because they were just too small without them at the end of the day. So that was my one kind of big thing moving forward, because I, I just don't have any any other things they need to prove to me. They, Shaka Smart has figured out how to play defense with this crew. Yes. And I think that was not something that's, like, that was just not something they ever quite got to last year. Like, like that, that we really truly understand our defensive identity with this crew. Because Shaka, Shaka Smart being a bad defensive coach is not a thing. Right, you can go down his history, especially at you know, at VCU. We're talking sixth in the country in defensive efficiency, 26th, 36th, 23rd. Like this is like that's that's not the question here. But but what Shaka Smart I think has figured out is is kind of to your point how to use this uber athletic, uber long arms and legs everywhere type of team that doesn't really have like Iguodaro is great. He's not a traditional, just kind of bang in the middle big. And you just lean into kind of the chaos and the speed got teams up and you have these guards that are long and athletic and, you know, guys like Cam Jones, guys like Stevie Mitchell, you know, Colick's certainly not a, a bad defender. They're just kind of all over the place and they've already hit you know, there's always a hand in your face. There's always a hand in the passing lane. There's always a guy flanking Zach Eady when he's trying to catch a, a high post pass. Like they're just kind of all over the place in a way that you expect Shaka Smart's defenses to be all over the place. He's just figured it out. Like their their defense is legit for sure. They're not tenth in defensive efficiency. Yeah, and 
again, also, that bench is making an impact. Mm-hmm. Not that you need all that much from your bench because your starting five is awfully good too. But Sean Jones hit two huge threes in this tournament and was a problem because he is simply the fastest player on the floor whenever he steps on the floor. Right. They have seven, eight impact players. In addition to one of the, what, three best starting lineups in the country? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. It might be the best, honestly, from top to bottom. You can make that case. They're in that conversation. He's consistently the best. I mean, like, there's, of course, days when, like, when Dewan Harris goes seven of nine from the three-point line, you know, that look Kansas kind of looks like it. Um, Yeah. When when the guards are knocking down shots for Purdue, Purdue kind of looks like it. Those but... are those are probably the three teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- defensively, they're already they just look more convincing defensively, and they're not giving up anything offensively to do it. Hey, Cam Jones had a couple really nice. I mean, he looked like Tyler Kolick out there. He had a couple really nice passes in this game. I, yeah, yeah, they're they're spectacular. I'm all I'm all in on both of these teams. If you haven't noticed, clearly, yeah, that was that was a spectacular spectacular game for for sure. Anything else on Marquette? I will be curious to see how the rest of the Big East stacks up with them, because UConn is making this interesting. Creighton certainly has done nothing to diminish how we both felt about them preseason. The Big yeah, East Creighton, just Creighton's Creighton's, Creighton's schedule is just so boring. Basically, until they play Alabama at the very end of their conference schedule, just kind of like, eh. So that's part of it. Yeah, and you know, okay, Villanova's gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start. We'll see how the rest of the week goes for them. But these three teams in the Big East, they just might be three of the five best teams in the country. I mean, <laughs> are you ready to say that the Big East is, and and maybe the depth drops off too fast, especially with teams like St. John's. And Villanova getting off yeah. to slow-ish starts, but if they if if the middle of that conference rounds into form, that's probably the best. That's probably the best combination of depth and top-end talent. Oh, the it's the best conference. It's the best conference in the country if those teams show up. Absolutely, right? right. No question. I'm not totally sure that's where we stand right now on November 22nd. Agree. But that's the like if there is a conference that is that is capable of kind of going toe to toe with the, the big 12, then I think it's the big East and the big 12 has some questions to yeah. answer for me in terms of what this looks like with more teams. I really think it makes an impact because the big East is now the, the conference where you play everybody twice. And if you have enough good teams, you're just playing a, a Providence has also been good. Maybe Providence is that team yeah. that kind of solidifies it as well. Stun- stunning that Providence is yeah. stunning. Yeah. Who would have saw that coming? Yeah, I'm I'm not really to, ready to crown them yet, but they are right there, and I am looking for an opportunity to say it's the best conference in the country, 100%. You want Tennessee or you want Kansas next? Kansas technically finished third. You want to go? Yeah, to let's next? let's do Kansas. Let's go in order. Okay, Kansas, 69-60 this evening, this afternoon, beating Tennessee. Tennessee, the unfortunate team that leaves with two losses uh the Jayhawks after losing a just the most boring college basketball game of the season between two good teams sorry no that was Tennessee sorry Kansas losing 73-59 to Marquette uh 
in the semifinal. Uh, and then bouncing back a little bit with a 69-60 win over Tennessee. How are we feeling about the Jayhawks three-ish weeks into the season? About the same. Hmm. I never felt like they were the best team in the country. I feel justified by that. If they played in the championship game, I was going to text you that Purdue wins by double digits. Mm. <laughs> but then mm. they played Marquette, and I didn't feel as confident, so I didn't text you. Sure. Because I very much feel like those are the best two teams coming out of this tournament. Kansas is weird because I feel like I'm just taking every opportunity to criticize them. It's not that I think they're bad or that they're not one of the five or seven best teams in the country. This is the conclusion I've come to. This The preseason number one and all the excitement was built on this idea of look what you have coming back and look what you added, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the equation is not that simple. And I think that's bared itself out so far. That you are not just simply taking what you have and adding a new, very good, all-American caliber piece who's been very good and is shooting the lights out from three piece to that. By rebuilding your offense around somebody who does not lend himself to some of the skills of your other players, you are also losing something. Now, is it a net positive? Absolutely. You're taking Hunter Dickinson if he wants to go play for your team. This is not about him in particular. It's the difference between him and Kevin McCuller, right? Kevin McCuller could walk into any team in the country and just fit in perfectly without impacting anything. Bill Self would take two Kevin McCullers to his starting lineup if he could have them, right? Mm-hmm. Because he just does all of the things that make your team better without taking anything away from anybody else. That is not the situation Kansas has. Watching the Marquette game in particular and the way that Marquette carved them up, and I know Marquette, it's not like Marquette scored 90 points or anything, but they got with, and I know Marquette's also an elite offensive team. But if you have Dewan Jones, Kevin McCullough, and KJ Adams out there, that's the best defensive trio in the country, and they all play at different levels and different positions. You just shouldn't be getting beat that badly. And then, the I mean, the real problem was the offensive end of the floor, which the other part of this for me is it was also look at these other pieces they have in addition to the big four. And that just really hasn't come to fruition yet. Now, Jamari McDowell is getting more minutes because he's maybe been the most impressive of all of those other guys so far. Because Nicholas Timberlake is off to a really rough start. Amarco Played Jackson, three minutes. Played three minutes yeah. against Tennessee. Yeah. Amarco Jackson hasn't been spectacular. Jamar McDowell has kind of taken all these guys playing time because he's been the best of that bunch. I mean, Johnny Furphy's in there making a little bit of an impact. These aren't the, even the guys that were supposed to be, you know. So they do need, and especially against Purdue, you have one of those four guys not have a great game and KJ Adams is obviously has some personal stuff going on right now with the loss of his mom as well. So he's trying to be present while also obviously his mind is somewhere else. If all four of them aren't good and Dewan Harris had some not so great games in this tournament as well, you're leaving yourself vulnerable unless you get somebody else to contribute because now you're Mm -hmm. talking about being carried by two or three guys as opposed to the four or the five that I think generally everybody thought we were going to have with, Marco Jackson coming in with Timberlake coming in with Jamari McDowell and maybe McDowell becomes that guy and it is five. That's, that's kind of where I am is that I'm just not convinced they can maximize all of the individual talent because of the way the pieces fit. They can still be great. They should still win the big 12. They could win the national championship, 
there is a price to be paid for changing what they're doing in terms of the way it impacts the other three guys coming back. They only have four reliable players right now. Correct. Four. That's the issue for me. That for me, it's not any more complex than that. Like we can talk about how Hunter Dickinson changes things. And I don't disagree with you, but that's not that's not why they only scored 59 points against Marquette. They just don't have outside of now KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, and Kevin McCullough is about as reliable of a four as of a foursome as you can get in college basketball this year. Like it might be the most reliable yeah. four players in college basketball this year. But after that, I have no idea. Like oh Marco Jackson in the last two days is 0 of six from the field. It's, you know, it was better today. Johnny Furphy, I thought, played pretty well. McDowell is making an impact from just how much he's on the floor perspective more than anything else. And Nick Timberlake has been bad. So to your point, I don't want to, you know, I don't don't have to rehash all of it. But what you saw, what I thought you saw more than anything else was when Hunter Dickinson isn't awesome, they're going to lose to really good teams until they figure out how to be more complete one through seven. Yep. And, and, and that's really different being really awesome. One through four is really different than being awesome. One through six with just say El Marco Jackson and Nick Timberlake. Cause that's what we thought we were getting. And right now that's just not what we're getting. And I honestly, I don't totally understand the Timberlake thing just because, you know, Timberlake was supposed to be the guy to come in and stretch the floor and knock down shots. And I can't think there are, you know, there's maybe one player in college basketball that makes it easier for guys around the perimeter than Hunter Dickinson in terms of where the focus is. And that's Zach Eady, which is why it's so infuriating when Purdue can't knock down shots because they get a lot of good ones because of Zach Eady. Yep. And so, you know, and, and it's a new, it's a different level of college basketball from Towson and it's a new place. And all of those things are, valid but if i'm a shooter going to play with hunter dickinson who's not only a dominant big but a very sharp offensive dominant big and does a lot of things and stretches the floor himself some and does all those things that i'd love to go play for him and i'm sure timberlake is in a similar spot mentally it's just a really slow start to the season and outside of him the uh the shooting questions will arise for me as well if he doesn't get better and kevin mccullough has been fantastic Oh, yeah. He's also been awesome. He's also not a guy that's going to necessarily go get you 18. I think that's the other That's the other part of this, too, is... Even though that's exactly what he did the last two days. Fair. Maybe I should have reframed I, that. I, I generally agree with you, but the he, last two days he put up 38 points combined. He's going to get you... He can get you consistently 16 to 20. He's at that level now. He's... I, I'm not sure he's the guy that's going to go get you 25 when you need it, to your point. Probably not. I don't know who – it needs to be a collective effort where you have, right, four guys getting between 12 and 20 if you're not going to have an All-American level performance from Dickinson, mm-hmm. which you're not going to get every single game probably, although he's been pretty close to it so far. But, right, the one game he didn't play all that well. You didn't have you had McCullough doing what you expect 
because he's also an All-American caliber player at this point. But it's also because he does so many things, right? He has triple doubles. He's probably their best defender. He's a All-American caliber defender, all-defensive first-team kind of guy. He's not a pure out-and-out 25-point-a-game scorer. That's that's also part of it for me is that the pieces are built in a way where they all complement each other by not having to be the go-to scorer because that's the guy you brought in. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fletcher Lawyer can go score 27 points if that's what his team needs. And Braden Smith can go knock down a bunch of threes and finish with eight, you know, can get to 20. Not that they're ever going to be built that way because it's ED first and ED just gets you 20 by walking on the floor. Oh, it feels like you're yeah. right. But that's, or, or I guess the better example is Marquette, right? Where Cole can get you 20. Cam Jones can go score 25. Igodaro can get you 20. Just depending on the day, you have different guys who can carry the scoring load. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Kansas is quite built that way, which isn't a problem usually, but it does leave you vulnerable on those rare days where the formula doesn't work. I'm not totally convinced that McCullough's not that guy. I mean, he's averaging 19 through five, but there's definitely only two. There's definitely not three. Yeah, right. He's making it interesting to be be. able to hold that line because he's been, I just feel like it's more because he's going to get you 18, eight and eight than it is 25. Sure. 19, 8.4 and 6.4. He's been awesome. Yeah. That's, that's his stat line through five games. On 55-33-75 splits. It's not bad. It's, it's not bad at all. He's very, he's very, very good. Um, yeah, the Kansas just needs more from from players five through seven. That's what needs to happen. I don't care who it is. Furphy, Timberlake. I mean, Furphy, I thought was played much better against Tennessee. He just looked he he certainly looked more comfortable against Tennessee. So I don't care who it is. They just need, they need, Bill Self needs to be able to go to three more guys and be, because it, you can probably find enough from seven, from a seven guy rotation that you rely on when those top four guys are who they are to beat pretty much everybody on any given night. But when you, it's only four, you can have nights against teams that are as elite as, as Marquette and, and it not, and it not look great. And Parker Brown's going to give you some minutes. He's not going to score 14 points or anything, but he can, he's been good at you know, making runs to the basket and seems like he pops up with a bucket or two and gets a couple of rebounds. You know, he can buy you some minutes, but yeah, you're not counting on him to be part of the scoring formula. Tennessee, the unfortunate team that leaves with two losses. The first being a 71-67, this being the most boring college basketball game between two high major teams, maybe of all time. A 71-67 loss to Purdue in which the two teams combined to shoot 78 free throws. That's two per minute of college basketball, Josh. 71-67, they lose to Purdue, and then, as we mentioned, 69-60 69-60 loss to Kansas. What say you about Rick Barnes' squad? This one's getting confusing for me. Here's where I've kind of settled. 
if two things are true, they are as good as just about anybody in the country. Maybe they're not on the same level as whoever you want to put up there with Purdue. But if the guards are good, which did not always happen in this tournament, although Vescovy had a had a good game against Kansas, and Dalton Connect is the 18-point-a-game scorer that he is most nights, they're in business. Mm-hmm. But when Dalton Connect goes 4 of 17 and finishes with 13 points, they look like the Tennessee team of last season because they are the Tennessee team of last season that struggles to score 60 points. Mm-hmm. That's that's the simplest way that I could sort of wrap up where I'm at. The ceiling is absolutely there. We've talked about this before. I'm sold. That when it's going well, they are way more equipped. And I do think they're the best team in the SEC. But we also saw... It can't be just connect, but it has to be led by connect. You got to get that balance right. Here's where I am with Tennessee two and a half weeks into the season. I was wrong about connect's ability to change the way that this offense works. That was my thing coming in. It's like, I don't have any faith in the ability of this offense, and I'm just not sure that a big sky player coming in is going to change that. I think Jordan Ganey has been spectacular too. Cause so it's kind of well. them. It's yeah. kind of them. Yes. Those two guys change what their offense can be. Mm-hmm. The rest of their offense is the exact same as it was last year. Correct. And what we learned, just like you said, and it's salt and connect more specifically, but it's those two guys and their creativity and knocking down shots and just doing weird stuff offensively. Nobody else knows how to do anything other than what Rick Barnes writes on the writes on the the clipboard before the possession about what we're supposed to do on this play. And they're just going to struggle to beat teams to beat good teams when Connect doesn't have a super efficient game when like you said when he's not leading the charge in that way. So I was I'm I'm I've I've managed to be for for me I've managed to be right about Tennessee and wrong about Tennessee yeah. at the same time because connect is that good. And I wasn't sure connect was going to be that good. Not that it was anything against connect. You just know how I feel about yeah. highly productive mid-major players coming in and being a very, very important part of a high major team. And that's what he is. He is the most important player on Tennessee's team. Oh, 100%. And, not, and not only is he the most important player on Tennessee's team, that team can win a national championship with him being the most important player on that team, which is very, very unique. But when he's not, when he's not great, when he's not efficient, then, then they're just going to, they're, they're either going to win games 55, 53 against good teams like they have in the past, or they're going to lose 69 to 60. Like it's just that, that part of it, that floor of Tennessee has not changed. And maybe that's the best way to put it is that their ceiling has changed. Their floor has not. Mm-hmm. And and what they get from Dalton Connect is almost always going to determine which Tennessee you're going to get on a given night. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Can you, and I, I wrote this down as a point I wanted to just bring up and discuss. Can you think of, and it doesn't sound as great after the last game, but 
Can you think of another mid-major transfer who has walked in and make it made it look this easy? Mm. Like this year or just in general? Just in general. That's a good question. Um, not not off the not off the top of my head. The couple I thought of were Tyson Walker and Tyler Kolick. However, I would argue both of them needed an entire season before they really got to the because I remembered thinking, Yeah, that would be yeah. I am not I am not sold on this Tyler Kolick thing early in his career. And then by last season you went, Oh, that's he the best has figured it out. Country. That's the right. best point guard in the country. Right. Because it took and Tyson Walker too, you know, he was good somewhere in that ballpark, decent to good. But he wasn't the player he is now when he arrived at Michigan State, right? It took him time. And then once they got acclimated, sort of year two is where they became some of the best players in the country. Yeah. This is, right, immediate, most important player on a team that can actually maybe win a national championship. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Because I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a ton. Not I, Yeah. There's a reason why I don't feel and like yeah, Tyson Walker. Okay, okay. I actually do have one. Okay. Maybe it's Brandon Clark. Maybe. Yeah. Or Nigel Williams Goss, one of the Gonzaga guys. Sure. That's a pretty good one. Does that that's... even count though? Well, Nigel Williams I mean, Goss doesn't count because he was he played at Washington. Washington. That's also true. Right. You're right. Because that's also a little bit different where I know you're playing a really good non-conference schedule, but you're – and obviously Dalton Connect hasn't played any SEC games yet. But it is different when you're doing it in a high-major conference too, I would argue. Yeah, and it's like, you know, even that 17 team. Like Nigel Williams-Goss was very, very important. We still have guys like Jordan Matthews, Jonathan Williams, Josh Perkins, and we haven't even gotten to Zach Collins and Kurnowski. Right. So, right. like – like, like they're not. Tennessee is not going to win lots of games against good teams when Dalton connect. Like it might already be that black and white. Yeah, and that that is what that is what I think is is super unique, especially yeah. on November twenty second. For sure, I was just thinking about the the ease of the transition part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, because I've got absolutely nobody that right. The narrative around a team has become so shaped them this quickly yeah yeah that's a great that's a great thought experiment i'm not sure i have an answer for you i i, I think that is the answer is that we've basically never seen this before <laughs> yeah. yeah or at least haven't seen it in a long time might have to think about that come come prepared with an answer yeah Hmm. Yeah, because anything, because anything I, because anything I think of is like, yeah, but that player wasn't that important. That player was just really good on a good team. Who are some of the other ones you're thinking of? Oh, you can't put me on the spot like that. Oh. Like some of them, have, they're they're in one ear and they're, okay. they're kind of in one ear and out the other. Okay. But like like the Baylor guys, I thought about. Mm. They also got to city year though. Yeah. That was, but that wasn't, that definitely and, wasn't I mean, the same. So it would be Macy Oteague then. Yeah. Right, because Jared Butler came from a high major program too. Right. 
Yeah, that's a pretty good one. If you take out that kind of qualifier. And also the fact that right, Maceo Teak was what, the third best player on his team? <laughs> Maybe. I like to think about those three guys as as I like to think about that group in a, in in tandem. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He That's certainly just, wasn't one of the three best important most important because Mark Feidel was in that category. You know, I think about like the other name that kind of that came to mind was and I'm gonna before I say his name out loud, I'm gonna look up his stats. The other guy that came to mind for me was see, never mind. Yeah, he just came in. That like I I consider like the name Mike Smith came into my head for his one mm. year in Michigan. Yeah, and he was really really good, but he was not the same. Like he went from a twenty two point per game guy in his last year at Columbia to a I pass the ball, I score ten points a game, I don't turn the ball over, and I facilitate at a high level to the Franzes, the Hunter Dickinsons, the Isaiah Livers, and the Eli Brookses of the world. So, mm-hmm. like, that's not that's not the same thing. Yeah. Either I was trying to think of guys that came in and were immediately really, really important, and yeah, that that name that's came to mind, thought. but yeah, but it's but again, it's not the same. No, just, and I I think not. that's ultimately what sets us apart is that he is, and I I don't know the stats off the top of my head. But he's basically the exact same player he was last season from a stat standpoint, right? Uh, he is a little – the the points per game are down a, down little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, He's at like six he's, – he's like at 18. 18.4 from 20.2. But the splits so, are better. But the splits Essentially are the same. Right. Maybe, he, you know, he's not getting as many shots because he's not the only yeah. high level. But the efficiency is – he's getting three less shots a game. Yeah. And and scoring 1.8 1. points per yeah. game fewer. I would argue that's effectively the same player. And yeah. and without knowing, let's see, just for fun. Let's see, last year. Last year. Last year, Northern Colorado was 64th in adjusted in, in, in adjusted tempo. And this year, Tennessee is 210th in adjusted tempo. So if they played at the pace that he'd probably yep. be averaging more than 20 That's points if point they too. played at a similar pace. Mm-hmm. What You know what? Final thing, and then we'll get it out of here. His per 40. Last year, his per 40 was 22.9. 22.9 points, eight, eight rebounds, two assists, a steal, half a block. So far at Tennessee, his per 40 numbers are 25, 6, and 2.5 and on better shooting splits. Yep. He's been spectacular. Yep. Also, yep. props to him for wanting to go to a program where he's going to get better defensively. Mm. I respect him a lot for that. For, for part of those reasons of, you know, Tennessee is not the most fun place to play offense. Yeah. But that and guy's it's a never, place that if you don't play defense, like Rick Barnes has no issue taking you off the floor. Right. Yeah. You're not just going to go there and light it up and hopefully, you know, get some right. draft stock. Right. Because he is an NBA level offensive player. Totally. And now he's going to get better defensively. I, re- I really hope that this works for him. Because it's just, we've been talking about it for what, 10 minutes now? It's just fascinating. Yeah. He gives me. Um, 
How how tall is Boyan Bogdanovich? Six seven. Mm. Don Connect is six six. I can see him having that kind of impact. Yeah. Or six man. Yeah. I mean, and, and Boyan Bogdanovich is a sixth man on a on a on a, on a good team. Yeah. Or a, yeah, like that last start or somewhere in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyhow. All right. You got anything else? We've got one more pod wrapping up the week coming, and then we'll be back to normal. There you go. Sunday. Everyone have a lovely Thanksgiving, if that is something that you celebrate. And have some turkey, have some mashed taters, some mac and cheese, and we'll meet back here on Sunday to discuss ESPN Invites Invitational, ESPN Invites Invitational, ESPN Events Invitational. We've got... Bad Boy for, Mowers Battle for got, Atlantis. We've got the Bad Boy Mowers ma- Battle for Atlantis. There's some other stuff going on in there as well. We'll talk all about it at that point. But that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jace Race Podcast. Of course, look out for the Under 8 Daily College Basketball Show uh, in a much shorter format after every single night of college basketball. Uh, we'll be back to that format next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.